Hello listeners, this is volume 1 of the book of A Thousand Nights and a Night, translated by Richard Burden. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Priya, India. The Book of A Thousand Nights and a Night, Section 14. When the morning dawned, he mounted and rode onwards till he reached the holy city Jerusalem, and thence he made Aleppo, where he dismounted at one of the caravansaries, and about three days to rest himself and the mule, and to smell the air. Then, being determined to travel afar, and Allah having written safety in his fate, he set out again, wending without voting whither he was going, and... Having fallen in with certain couriers, he stinted not travelling till he had reached Bazara city, albeit he knew not what the place was. It was dark night when he alighted at the Khan, so he spread out his prayer carpet and took down the saddle bags from the back of his mule and gave her with her furniture in charge of the doorkeeper that he might walk her about. The man took her and did as he was bid. Now it so happened that the wazir of Bazora, a man short in years, was sitting at the lattice window of his palace opposite the Khan, and he saw the porter walking the mule up and down. He was struck by her trappings of price, and thought her a nice beast fit for the ridings of wazirs, or even the royalties, and the more he looked, the more he was perplexed, till at last he said to one of his pages, "'Bring hither yon doorkeeper.' The page went and returned to the wazir with the porter who kissed the ground between his hands and the minister asked him, Who is the owner of yonder mule and what manner of man is he? And he answered, O my lord, the owner of this mule is a comely young man of pleasant manners, withal grave and dignified and doubtless one of the sons of the merchants. When the wazir heard the doorkeeper's words, he arose forthright and, mounting his horse, rode to the Khan and went in to Nur al-Din, who, seeing the minister making toward him, rose to his feet and advanced to meet him and saluted him. The wazir welcomed him to Bazora and, dismounting, embraced him and made him sit down by his side and said, O my son, whence comest thou and what dost thou seek? O my lord! Nur al-Din replied, I have come from the Cairo city of which my father was whilom wazir, but he hath been removed to the grace of Allah. And he informed him of all that had befallen him from beginning to end, adding, I am resolved never to return home before I have seen all the cities and countries of the world. When the wazir heard this, he said to him, O my son, hearken not to the voice of passion, lest it cast thee into the pit. For indeed many regions be waste places, and I fear for thee the turns of time. Then he let load the saddle-bags and the silk and prayer carpets on the mule, and carried Nur al-Din to his own house, where he lodged him in a pleasant place, and entreated him honourably, and made much of him, for he inclined to love him with exceeding love. After a while he said to him, O my son, here am I, left a man in years, and have no male children. But Allah hath blessed me with a daughter who eveneth thee in beauty, 
and I have rejected all her many suitors, men of rank and substance. But affection for thee hath entered into my heart. Say me, then, will thou be to her a husband? If thou accept this, I will go up with thee to the Sultan of Bassorah, and will tell him that thou art my nephew, the son of my brother, and bring thee to be appointed wazir in my place, that I may keep the house for, by Allah, O my son, I am stricken in years and aweary. When Nur al-Din heard the wazir's words, he bowed his head in modesty and said, To hear is to obey. At this the wazir rejoiced and bade his servants prepare a feast and decorate the great assembly hall wherein they were wont to celebrate the marriages of emirs and grandees. Then he assembled his friends and the notables of the reign and the merchants of Bazorah, and when all stood before him, he said to them, I had a brother who was wazir in the land of Egypt, and Allah Almighty blessed him with two sons, whilst to me, as well ye what, he had given a daughter. My brother charged me to marry my daughter to one of his sons, whereto I assented, and when my daughter was of age to marry, he sent me one of his sons. The young man, now present, to whom I purpose marrying her, drawing up the contract, and celebrating the night of unveiling with due ceremony, for he is nearer and dearer to me than a stranger, and after the wedding, if he please, he shall abide with me, or if he desire to travel, I will forward him and his wife to his father's home. Hereat one and all replied, Right is thy reckoning. And they all looked at the bridegroom and were pleased with him. So the wazir sent for the kazi and legal witnesses, and they wrote out the marriage contract, after which the slaves perfumed the guests with incense, and served them with sherbet of sugar, and sprinkled rose water on them, and all went their ways. Then the wazir bade his servants take Nur al-Din to the hammam bath, and send him a suit of the best of his own especial raiment, and napkins, and towelry, and bowls, and perfume burners, and all else that was required. After the bath, when he came out and donned the dress, he was even as the full moon on the fourteenth night, and he mounted his mule, and stayed not till he reached the wazir's palace. There he dismounted, and went to the minister, and kissed his hands, and the wazir bade him welcome, and Shahrazad perceived the dawn of the day, and ceased to say her permitted say. When it was the twenty-first night, she said, It hath reached me, O auspicious king, that the wazir stood up to him, and, welcoming him, said, Arise, and go into thy wife this night, and on the morrow I will carry thee to the sultan, and pray Allah bless thee with all manners of weal. So Nur al-Din left him, and went into his wife, the wazir's daughter. Thus, far concerning him, but as regards his eldest brother, Shams al-Din, he was absent with the sultan a long time, and when he returned from his journey, he found not his brother. And he asked of his servants and slaves who answered, On the day of thy departure with the sultan, thy brother mounted his mule, fully caparisoned as for state procession, saying, I am going towards Kalyup town, and I shall be absent one day or at most two days, for my breast is straitened, and let none of you follow me. Then he fared forth, and from that time to this we have heard no tidings of him. Shams al-Din was greatly troubled at the sudden disappearance of his brother, and grieved with exceeding grief at the loss, and said to himself, This is only because I chided and upbraided him the night before my departure with the sultan. Happily his feelings were hurt, and he fared forth a-travelling, but I must send after him. 
Then he went into the Sultan and acquainted him with what had happened and wrote letters and dispatches which he sent by running footmen to its deputies in every province. But during the twenty days of his brother's absence, Nur al-Din had travelled and had reached Bazorah, so after diligent search the messengers failed to come at any news of him and returned. Thereupon Shams al-Din despaired of finding his brother and said, Indeed, I went beyond all bounds in what I said to him with reference to the marriage of our children. Would that I had not done so. This all cometh of my lack of wit and want of caution. Soon after this, he sought in marriage the daughter of a Kyrene merchant and drew up the marriage contract and went in to her. And it so chanced that on the very same night when Shams al-Din went to his wife, Nur al-Din also went to his wife the daughter of the wazir of Bazora, this being in accordance with the will of Almighty Allah that he might deal the decrees of destiny to his creatures. Furthermore, it was as the two brothers had said, for their two wives became pregnant by them on the same night and both were brought to bed on the same day. The wife of Shams al-Din, wazir of Egypt, of a daughter, never in Cairo was seen a fairer and the wife of Nur al-Din of a son. None more beautiful was ever seen in, in his time, as one of the poets said concerning the like of him, That jerry hair, that glossy brow, my slender-waisted youth of thine, can darkness round creation though, or make it brightly shine. The dusky mould that faintly shows upon his cheek, ah, blame it not, the tulip flower never blows undarkened by its spot. And as another also said, His sin was musk and his cheek was rose, His teeth are pearls and his lips drop wine, His form is a brand and his hips a hill, His hair is night and his face moonshine. They named the boy Badr al-Din Hassan, And his grandfather, the wazir of Bazora, Rejoiced in him and on the seventh day after his birth, Made entertainments and spread banquets which would befit the birth of the king's sons and heirs. Then he took Nur al-Din and went up with him to the sultan, and his son-in-law, when he came before the presence of the king, kissed the ground between his hands and repeated these verses, for he was ready of speech, firm of sprite, and good in heart, as he was goodly in form. The world's best choice long be thy lot, my lord, and last while darkness and the dawn overlap, O thou who makest when we greet thy gifts, the world to dance and timed his palms to clap. Then the Sultan rose up to honour them and, thanking Nur al-Din for his fine compliment, asked the Wazir, Who may be this young man? And the minister answered, This is my brother's son, and related his tale from first to last, quoth the Sultan, and how comes he to be thy nephew, and we have never heard speak of him? Quoth the minister, O our lord the sultan, I had a brother who was the wazir of the land of Egypt, and he died, leaving two sons, whereof the elder hath taken his father's place, and the younger, whom thou seest, came to me. I had sworn I would not marry my daughter to any one but to him. So when he came, I married him to her. Now he is young, and I am old. My hearing is dulled, and my judgment is easily fooled. Wherefore, 
I would solicit our lord the Sultan to set him in my stead, for he is my brother's son and my daughter's husband, and he is fit for the Wazirat, being a man of good counsel and ready contrivance. The Sultan looked at Nur al-Din and liked him, so he established him in office as the Wazir had requested, and formally appointed him, presenting him with a splendid dress of honour and a she-mule from his private stud, and assigning to him salt, stipends and supplies. Nur al-Din kissed the Sultan's hand and went home. He and his father-in-law joined with exceeding joy and saying, All this followeth on the heels of the boy Hassan's birth. Next day he presented himself before the king and, kissing the ground, began repeating, Grow thy wheel and thy welfare day by day, and thy luck prevail over the envious spite, and never cease thy days to be white as day, and thy foreman's day to be black as night. The Sultan bade him to be seated on the wazir's seat, so he sat down and applied himself to the business of his office, and went into the cases of leads and their suits, as is the wont of ministers. While the Sultan watched him and wondered at his wit and good sense, judgment and insight, wherefore he loved him and took him into intimacy. When the Diwan was dismissed, Nur al-Din returned to his house and related what had passed to his father-in-law, who rejoiced. And thenceforward Nur al-Din ceased not so to administer the wazirate that the Sultan would not be parted from him night or day, and increased his stipend and supplies until his means were ample, and he became the owner of ships that made trading voyages at its command, as well as of Mamluks and Blackamoor slaves, and he laid out many estates and set up Persian wheels and planted gardens. When his son Hassan was four years of age, the old wazir deceased, and he made for his father-in-law a sumptuous funeral ceremony ere he was laid in the dust. Then he occupied himself with the education of this son, and when the boy waxed strong and came to the age of seven, he brought him a fakir, a doctor of law and religion, to teach him in his own house, and charged him to give him a good education, and instruct him in politeness and manners. So the tutor made the boy read and retain all varieties of useful knowledge, after he had spent some years in learning the Quran by heart and he ceased not to grow in beauty and stature and symmetry, even as saith the poet, In his face sky shines the fullest moon, in his cheeks anemone glows the sun. He so conquered beauty that he hath won all charms of humanity one by one. The professor brought him up in his father's palace, teaching him reading, writing and ciphering, theology and bellis letters. His grandfather, the old wazir had bequeathed to him the whole of his property when he was but four years of age. Now, during all the time of his earliest youth, he had never left the house till, on a certain day, his father, the wazir Nur al-Din, clad him in his best clothes and, mounting him on a she-mule of the finest, went up with him to the sultan. The king gazed at Badr al-Din Hassan and marvelled at his comeliness and loved him. As for the city folk, when he first passed before them with his father, they marvelled at his exceeding beauty, and sat down on the road, expecting his return, that they might look for their fill on his beauty and loveliness, and symmetry and perfect grace. 
even as the poet said in these verses as the sage watched the stars the semblance clear of a fair youth on scroll he saw appear those jetty locks canopus over him threw and tinged his temple curls a musky hue mars dyed his ruddy cheek and from his eyes the archer star his glittering arrow flies his wit from hermes came and so has care the half-seen star that dimly haunts the bear kept off all evil eyes that threaten and ensnare the sage stood mazed to see such fortunes meet and luna kissed the earth beneath his feet and they blessed him aloud as he passed and called upon almighty allah to bless him the sultan entreated the lad with especial favor and said to his father o wazir thou must needs bring him daily to my presence whereupon he replied i hear and i obey then the wazir returned home with his son and ceased not to carry him to court till he reached the age of 20 at that time the minister sickened and sending for badraldin hasan said to him no my son that the world of the present is but a house of mortality while that of the future is a house of eternity i wish before i die to bequeath thee certain charges and do thou take heed of what i say and incline thy heart to my words then he gave him last instructions as to the properest way of dealing with his neighbors and the due management of his affairs after which he called to mind his brother and his home and his native land and wept over his separation from those he had first loved then he wiped away his tears and turning to his son said to him before i proceed o my son to my last charges and injunctions know that i have a brother and though has an uncle shamsaldin hight the wazir of cairo which whom i parted leaving him against his will now take thee a sheet of paper and write upon it what so i say to thee badraldin took a fair leaf and set about doing his father's bidding and he wrote thereon a full account of what had happened to his sire first and last the dates of his arrival at bazora and of his foregathering with the wazir of his marriage of his going into the minister's daughter and of the birth of his son brief his life of 40 years from the date of his dispute with his brother adding the words and this is written at my dictation and may almighty allah be with him when i am gone then he folded the paper and sealed it and said o hasan o my son keep this paper with all care for it will enable thee to establish thine origin and rank and lineage and if anything contrary befall thee set out for cairo and ask for thine uncle and show him this paper and say to him that i died a stranger far from mine own people and full of yearning to see him and them so badraldin hasan took the document and folded it and wrapping it up in a piece of wax cloth of his skull cap and wound his light turban round it and he fell to weeping over his father and at parting with him and he but a boy then nur al-din lapsed into a swoon the forerunner of death but presently recovering himself he said o hasan o my son i'll now bequeath to thee five last behests the first behest is be over intimate with none nor frequent any nor be familiar with any 
so shall thou be safe from his mischief. For security lieth in seclusion of thought, and a certain retirement from the society of thy fellows, and I have heard it said by a poet, In this world there is none thou mayst count upon, to befriend thy case in the nick of need, so live for thyself nursing hope of none. Such counsel I give thee, you know, take heed. The second behest is, O my son, deal harshly with none, lest fortune with thee deal hardly. For the fortune of this world is one day with thee, and another day against thee, and all worldly goods are but a loan to be repaid. And I have heard a poet say, Take thought nor hast to win the thing thou wilt. Have wrath on man, for wrath thou mayst require. No hand is there, but Allah's hand is higher. No tyrant but shall rue worse tyrant's ire. The third behest is, Learn to be silent in society, and let thine own faults distract thine attention from the faults of other men. For it is said, In silence dwelleth safety, and thereon I have heard the lines that tell us, Reserves a jewel, silence safety is, when as thou speakest many a word withhold. For an of silence thou repent thee once, of speech thou shalt repent times manifold. The fourth behest, O my son, is beware of wine-bibbing, for wine is the head of all frowardness and a fine solvent of human wits. So shun, and again I say, shun mixing strong liquor, for I have heard a poet say, From wine, turn and whoso wine cups will, Becoming one of those who deem it ill, Wine driveth man to miss salvation way, And opes the gateway wide to sins that kill. The fifth behest, O my son, is, Keep thy wealth and it will keep thee, Guard thy money and it will guard thee, And waste not thy substance, Lest haply thou come to want and must fare a begging from the meanest of mankind. Save thy dirhams, and deem them the sovereignest salve for the wounds of the world. And here again I have heard that one of the poets say, When fails my wealth no friend will deign befriend, When wealth abounds all friends their friendship tender, How many friends lent aid my wealth to spend, But friends to lack of wealth no friendship render. On this, Wise Nur al-Din ceased not to counsel his son Badr al-Din Hassan till his hour came, and, sighing one sobbing sigh, his life went forth. Then the voice of mourning and keening rose high in his house, and the Sultan and all the grandees grieved for him and buried him. But his son ceased not lamenting his loss for two months, during which he never mounted horse nor attended the divan no presented himself before the sultan. At last, the king, being wroth with him, established his stead one of the chamberlains and made him wazir, giving orders to seize and set seals on all Nur al-Din's houses and goods and domains. So the new wazir went forth with a mighty posse of chamberlains and people of the divan and watchmen and a host of idlers to do this and to seize Badr al-Din Hassan and to carry him before the king who would deal with him as he deemed fit. Now there was among the crowd of followers a Mamluk of the diseased wazir who, when he heard this order, 
urged his horse and rode at full speed to the house of Badruddin Hasan, for he could not endure to see the ruin of his old master's son. He found him sitting at the gate, with head hung down and sorrowing, as was his wont, for the loss of his father. So he dismounted and, kissing his hand, said to him, O my lord and son of my lord, haste your ruin come and lay waste. When Hasan heard this, he trembled and asked, What may be the matter? And the man answered, The Sultan is angered with thee, and hath issued a warrant against thee, and evil cometh hard upon my track, so flee with thy life. At these words, Hasan's heart flamed with the fire of Baal, and his rose-red cheek turned pale, and he said to the Mamluk, O my brother, is there time for me to go in and get me some worldly gear which may stand me instead during my strangerhood? But the slave replied, O my lord, up at once and save thyself and leave this house while it is yet time. And he quoted these lines, Escape with thy life if oppression betide thee, and let the house of its builders fate. Country for country thou wilt find if thou seek it, life for life, never early or late. It is strange men should dwell in the house of abjection, when the plain of God's earth is so wide and so great. At these words of the Mamluk, Badruddin covered his head with the skirt of his garment, and went forth on foot till he stood outside of the city, where he heard folk saying, The Sultan has sent his new wazir to the house of the old wazir, now no more, to seal his property, and seize his son Badruddin Hassan, and take him before the presence, that he may put him to death. And all cried, Alas for his beauty and his loveliness. When he heard this, he fled forth at hazard, knowing not whither he was going, and gave not over, hurrying onwards till destiny drove him to his father's tomb. So he entered the cemetery, and, threading his way through the graves, at last he reached the sepulchre, where he sat down and let fall from his head the skirt of his long robe, which was made of brocade with a gold-embroidered hem, whereon were worked these couplets. O thou whose forehead, like the radiant east, tells of the stars of heaven and bounteous dews, endure thine honour to the latest day, and time thy grow of glory, never refuse. While he was sitting by his father's tomb, behold, there came to him a Jew, as he were a shroff, a money-changer, with a pair of saddle-bags containing much gold, who accosted him and kissing his hand, saying, Whither bound, O my lord, tis late in the day, and thou art clad but lightly, and I read signs of trouble in thy face? I was sleeping within this very hour, answered Hassan, when my father appeared to me and chid me for not having visited his tomb. So I awoke trembling and came hither forthright, lest the day should go by without my visiting him, which would have been grievous to me. O my lord, rejoined the Jew, thy father had many merchantmen at sea, and some of them are now due. It is my wish to buy of thee the cargo of the first ship that cometh into port with this thousand dinars of gold. I consent, quoth Hassan, whereupon the Jew took out a bag of gold and counted out a thousand sequins which he gave to Hassan, the son of Wazir, saying, Write me a letter of sale and seal it. So. Hassan took a pen and paper and wrote these words in duplicate. The writer, Hassan Badraldin, son of Wazir Nur al-Din, 
hath to Isaac the Jew all the cargo of the first of his father's ships which cometh into port for a thousand dinars, and he hath received the price in advance. And after he had taken one copy, the Jew put it into his pouch and went away. But Hassan fell a weeping as he thought of the dignity and prosperity which had erst been his, and he began reciting. This house, my lady, since you left, is now a home no more. For me, not neighbours, since you left, prove kind and neighbourly. The friend's willere I took to heart, alas, no more to me is friend, and even Luna's self displayeth lunacy. You left, and by your going, left the world a waste, a wolf, and lies a gloomy murk upon the face of hill and lea. O oh, may the raven bird whose cry our hapless parting croaked find never a nesty home and eck shed all his plumery. At length my patience fails me and this absence wastes my flesh. How many a veil by severance rent our eyes are doomed see. Ah, shall I ever sight again our fair past nights of yore and shall a single house become a home for me once more? Then he wept with exceeding weeping, and night came upon him. So he leaned his head against his father's grave, and sleep overcame him. Glory to him who sleepeth not. He ceased not slumbering till the moon rose, when his head slipped from off the tomb, and he lay on his back with limbs outstretched, his face shining bright in the moonlight. Now the cemetery was haunted day and night by jinns, who were of the true believers, and Presently came out a genia who, seeing Hassan asleep, marvelled at his beauty and loveliness and cried, Glory to God, this youth can be none other than one of the Walden of Paradise. Then she flew firmament wards to circle it, as was her custom, and met an Ifrit on the wing, who saluted her, and she said to him, Whence comest thou? From Cairo, he replied. Will thou come to me and look upon the beauty of a youth who sleepeth in yonder burial place? She asked, and he answered, I will. So they flew till they lighted at the tomb, and she showed him the youth and said, Now didst thou ever in thy born days see aught like this? The Ifrit looked upon him and exclaimed, Praise be to him that hath no equal. But, O my sister, shall I tell thee what I have seen this day? asked she, What is that? And he answered, I have seen the counterpart of this youth in the land of Egypt. She is the daughter of the wazir Shams al-Din, and she is a model of beauty and loveliness, of fairest favour and formest form, and dight with symmetry and perfect grace. When she had reached the age of nineteen, the sultan of Egypt heard of her, and, sending for the wazir her father, said to him, Hear me, O wazir, it hath reached mine ear that thou hast a daughter, and I wish to demand her of thee in marriage. The wazir replied, O our lord the sultan, deign accept my excuses and take compassion on my sorrows, for thou knowest that my brother, who was partner with me in the wazirat, disappeared from amongst us many years ago, and we wot not where he is. Now the cause of his departure was that one night, as we were sitting together and talking of wives and children to come, we had words on the matter, and he went off in high dudgeon. But I swore that I would marry my daughter to none, 
save to the son of my brother on the day her mother gave her birth which was nigh upon nineteen years ago i have lately heard that my brother died at bazora where he married the daughter of the wazir and that she bare him a son and i will not marry my daughter but to him in honour of my brother's memory i recorded the date of my marriage and the conception of my wife and the birth of my daughter and from her horoscope i find that her name is conjoined with that of her cousin and there are damsels in foison for our lord the sultan the king hearing his minister's answer and refusal waxed wroth with exceeding wrath and cried when the like of me asketh a girl in marriage of the like of thee he conferreth an honour and though rejectest me and putteth me off with cold excuses now by the life of my head i will marry her to the meanest of my men in spite of the nose of thee there was in the palace a horse groom which was a gobo with a bunch to his breast and a hunch to his back and the sultan sent for him and married him to the daughter of the wazir lee for loth and hath ordered a pompous marriage procession for him and that he go into his bride this very night i have now just flown hither from cairo where i left the hunchback at the door of the hammam bath amidst the sultan's white slaves who were waving lighted flambeaux about him as for the minister's daughter she sitteth among her nurses and tire women weeping and wailing for they have forbidden her father to come near her never have i seen o my sister more hideous being than this hunchback whilest the young lady is the likest of all folk to this young man albeit even fairer than he and shahrazad perceived the dawn of the day and ceased her permitted say end of section 14 of the book of a thousand nights and a night recording by priya for librivox